Welcome to Christian Medical and Dental Association's Chapel. We trust this message will encourage your walk with the Lord. So, one of the things I know we do a lot around here, maybe you do as a department, uh, I know the senior staff does occasionally, is we read books together. We try to develop one another. We want to speak into issues or issues to speak into our lives that are relevant to our faith, to how to live that out within the workplace, especially a Christian mission organization like CMDA. Um, I know that the senior staff were reading something on, on uh, trust by Henry Cloud. Uh, we've we've um, read numerous books. What, this is a book, though, that we are reading as a staff team within CCM. It's called The Fearless Organization, Creating Psychological Safety in the Workplace for Learning innovation and growth by Amy Edmondson and I believe the subject kind of came on my radar screen it was the Global Leadership Summit and I think it was Amy who was the speaker there if I recall correctly and uh, speaking on this topic really uh, provoked my curiosity and wanting to learn more and eventually uh, saw this book available and we've we've been moving through other things and decided to let's let's tackle this subject um, because you know, even though we're, okay, we're in a Christian organization, it doesn't mean that psychological safety is a guarantee. It doesn't mean that we don't fail in it. Oftentimes we can, we can uh, maybe we think we're creating an environment that is providing that. Maybe we do, maybe we don't. But it is something that I thought would be important. So we talked about it, or have begun talking about it as a team, and we're just starting to get into this discussion. But when we deal with a book like this, it's a business book. It doesn't come from a faith perspective. But as you know, all truth is God's truth, right? And there, there's true things in here. And, but I also like to take the time to think through how does the things that we're learning about, the things that we're going to be discussing, how do they intersect with our faith? How does it process itself through the Christian world and life view? And I think that's an important discussion so that we understand how uniquely, as Christ followers, we can really speak into this subject. How, 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 can we, how can we live this out in our organization, CMDA? And I think it should look a little different in CMDA. The results should vary a little bit. The, the way that we approach this should be different than maybe other organizations. And um, so I want to talk a little bit about that. But before I do, I want to kind of help us understand what this term psychological safety means. So... Going to definition, you can read along. Psychological safety describes a belief that neither the formal or informal consequences of interpersonal risks, like asking for help or admitting a failure, will be punitive. In psychological safe environments, people believe that if they make a mistake or ask for help, others will not react badly. Instead... Candor is both allowed and expected. Psychological safety exists when people feel the workplace is an environment where they can speak up, offer ideas, and ask questions without fear of being punished or embarrassed. Is this a place where new ideas are welcomed and built upon or picked apart and ridiculed? Will your colleagues embarrass or punish you for offering a different point of view? Will they think less of you for admitting that you don't understand something? So that's a fairly comprehensive view of what we're talking about. Creating a safe environment, a place where people 
feel the freedom to offer those suggestions, ask questions, risk looking dumb at times. I mean, it's creating that environment in an organization and throughout it, creating it within the DNA, allowing that to be lived out every day. So that's psychological safety, but what, what isn't psychological safety? What aren't we talking about? Because oh, I think sometimes also understanding what it isn't is also a helpful way to defining it. What psychological safety is not, it's not about being nice. Now, we should be nice. <laughs> Don't want to be a jerk? Come on now, forget about it. All right. Don't want to be a jerk, but, you know, nice can oftentimes breed passive-aggressive behaviors. We can be nice to one another's face. We can have all the pleasantry. You know, as Christians, we're supposed to be nice. In the South, we're super supposed to be nice. But it isn't necessarily about being nice. It's about being creating an environment where we can be honest and candid with one another. And, and sometimes the things that we may have to discuss, uh, they're going to step on some other, you know, some other people's toes. They may be difficult to hear, but they need to be said, or they need, questions need to be asked. It's not just another word for trust. Now, this one was interesting because we're reading a book on trust. There's a lot of similarities here, but trust has a lot more to do with a relational kind of connection, a, a person in particular, where that's the focus. Psychological safety should be a lot more, it should transcend an individual. It should be part of the very culture, the air we breathe in any organization. That no matter who we're interacting with, whether we trust them or not, or whatever that relationship might be, it's, it's something that's part of the organization as a whole. So it's a little bit bigger than just a mere person. Um, and it's not lowering performance standards. It's, it's, you know, it's not creating an environment where, hey, you know, we're just going to kind of do whatever. Uh, anything goes. It's, you know, I mean, we are seeking, any organization seeking for excellence and efficiency and effectiveness. Um, so it's just not a lackadaisical uh, necessarily attitude that, that works its way throughout the organization. So that's what it's not. Here's the importance of psychological safety. When people don't speak up, the organization's ability to innovate and growth is threatened. When good ideas aren't shared, when good questions aren't being asked, when we're not having those conversations within that, again, environment of psychological safety, who suffers? Well, the organization suffers, and of course, we're just not an organization producing widgets. People suffer because we're ministering to people in people's lives, helping come alongside our members, helping people grow and flourish. And so that's all threatened if we do not allow and cultivate an environment of psychological safety. Now, needless to say, it is a good, you know, good aspiration, right? We want psychological safety in our organization. But let's just be honest. It's risky. <laughs> it's risky because, well, maybe some of us have come from organizations where the best way to do your job is keep your head down, don't ask a lot of questions, and just get through. Don't, 
don't make yourself vulnerable. Don't put your neck on the chopping block. <laughs> maybe we have those, those backgrounds and experiences, and so we're going to be hesitant, maybe, to step up and step in and speak up and ask a question or, or, or look dumb occasionally. Well, it is going to demand risk, and that's where I think we're going to kind of look at how does that relate in terms of our faith? How does our faith speak into this issue? So we are going to have to take risks. As this says, taking risks. Never let the fear of failure stop you from trying unless, of course, risk-taking is, risk is accompanied by a grand case of stupidity. But take risks. We need to take risks. So I wanted to camp on two words that seem to just kind of are kind of a common thread in, in, in what we've been reading and discussing in this book. And those two words are fear and safety. It's called the fearless organization, the book. And then, of course, the whole term we're talking about is psychological safety. So what, what, what does that get us thinking about as, as Christ followers, fear and safety? Well, first of all, fear is something that we read about throughout the scriptures. The scriptures talk about fear. I'll just give you a couple of verses. Isaiah 41.10, fear not. So the assumption is we're going to struggle with fear. <laughs> the assumption is you may feel tempted to fear, but fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. 2 Timothy 1.7, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. First John 4.18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Psalm 34.4, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from my fears. Have I not commanded you in Joshua 1.9, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid or frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go and then Proverbs 29 25 the fear of man lays a snare but whoever trusts the Lord is safe we're going to be tempted to fear but you can see the often the, the the call don't fear trust the Lord don't fear find find safety in me find safety in your Lord and of course, that idea of safety continues on. Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs to it and is safe. We're going to find safety in the Lord and who he is, his character, his protection. So as I look at psychological safety, You can see that, you know, it's an important thing. It's an important endeavor to embark on. But if, it's, if the idea that safety is going to be found purely in the organization itself, as if the, the organization is going to ultimately provide the safe environment to operate in, then we're going to be gravely disappointed, as we are in all relationships. I mean, you know this, the most intimate relationships you have with people, your family, your spouse, your closest friends. We will and do disappoint one another. We do fail one another. The question really ultimately becomes, who is the object of your trust? 
It's not in the organization creating this perfect environment that will give you freedom to, 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 to share those questions and, and to, you know, to have those difficult conversations. The organization isn't the one. It's Christ. And that is what we're going to need to cling to. Trust. It's not the amount of trust you have. It's always the object. Is the object faithful? Is it dependable? Is it reliable? Is it truly effective and worthy of our trust? So, we are to what? We are to cling to the gospel. Cling to Christ. That is who we trust. Need not fear, but find comfort in him. Now, we often talk about the gospel a lot, and I figured this might be a good time to parenthetically just kind of pause and talk about what is the gospel? Because I think, you know, talking about it just clinging to the gospel can kind of seem like a, you know, kind of trite, kind of superficial. Okay, well, what does that exactly mean? What are we being asked to trust in? What are we, asked, what are we being asked to cling to? So let's just talk about what is the gospel? I think if I were to take and distill, now we can talk, I mean, you all have ways of talking about the gospel. I imagine if we went around, everybody said, so what is the gospel? Define it, describe it, explain it. We'd all, it's, it's, like, a, it's like facets of a diamond, you know. We'd all be looking at it through different, a different lens. It'd all be true. It, it would all be beautiful. We'd all have truth in this, but then it would look a little different. It would be a different facet. It would represent the gospel as a whole. But what is the gospel? And when we distill it down, I think there's, Four statements that may help us understand at the, at the root, what are we talking about with the gospel? The first is, he made it all. He made it all. God is creator. God is the creator. We are the creation. He made us in a, to have a right relationship with him. He, we're image bearers. And he made creation that was good. But when he made humans, male and female, it was very good. He is our creator. He designed us to have intimacy with him. It was perfect and unbroken. That is what he designed. That is, this world we see is, 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 a, is not the way it was meant to be. He made it all. He is our creator. Not only did he, he made it all, we lost it all. Sin utterly broke it our disobedience, our wanting to go our own independent way, to be God, to be disobedient, caused a separation. It caused, it brought death into the world. And it affected us totally. Total depravity, if you've heard that term. Not being utterly depraved, not as bad as we could be. God in his mercy and his common grace allows us not to go that far, but then we are totally depraved. It affects everything, the mind, the will, our emotions, our relationships, vertically, horizontally. It, it affects everything. And it affected all of creation. It turned creation up on its head. We know in Romans, it talks about the creation groans. Groans for a point in time when it will be fully restored and set right. He made it all. We lost it all. But he did it all. He accomplished it. When you think about what Christ accomplished for us, being fully obedient, to go to the cross, to live a life that you and I 
could not live a perfect life, to die a death that he did not deserve to die, but he died it for us. There are two words that can help you think about the, the scope and scale of what he accomplished. It was necessary and it was sufficient. It was necessary. There was no other means that you and I could reconcile our way back into a right relationship with God. We could not fix this. We could not restore it. We could not repair it. It was necessary for a God-man, Jesus himself, to do this for us. There was no other way, no other means. But it was also sufficient. He left nothing undone. There's nothing more we can add. There's nothing more we can contribute. There's nothing we can contribute, period. It was necessary and it was completely sufficient. He made it all. We lost it all. He did it all. And because of him, we have it all. We have reconciliation with our creator. We've been bought back, purchased, redeemed by the blood. We are being made holy through the work of his spirit and what Christ has done. We are justified and forgiven. We are robed and clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So when we stand before God, he sees us as his son, Jesus. We have eternal life. We have it all. There's nothing lacking in Christ. He made it all. We lost it all. He did it all. We have it all. That's the gospel. And that is what we are to trust and cling to. So, how does this make a difference? How does the gospel make a difference in psychological safety? A couple of things. Sorry, that's my daughter. I'm going to have to get back to her. She's probably going to be on FaceTime. I'm going to see kids. You know, sometimes my granddaughters now are tech-savvy to the point. They're, they're, they're dialing me up. <laughs> FaceTime, voice memos. It's pretty cool. They can't tie their shoes. <laughs> but they can do tech. Kind of a chip off the old block, if I might say so myself. So how does this make a difference? Well, a lot of different ways. First of all, we need not have to fear because our trust is in the Lord. Our identity is in Him. We are called sons and daughters of the King because of Christ. We don't have to be fearful about looking dumb because our reputation isn't found in what other people think. I was struck by what um, Dave uh, shared at Chapel Thursday. You know, think about it. As a leader, he had his reputation completely dragged through the mud. <laughs> I mean, set, things said about him that were untrue. And it would be easy to try to self-justify yourself, to say, no, 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 that isn't true, and, and try, to, try to reason with people or try to, to make yourself look good. But at the same time, we are fully accepted and fully loved, and our reputation is found in Christ, we don't need to do that. We don't need to worry about our reputation. Not that we don't, we don't want to put our, it's not like we don't want to put our best foot forward, but we're not depending on, on how we look to other people. We are most interested and only interested in what Christ says about us because of what he's done. He gave it. He gave us everything. We lack nothing. So we can rest in him, we can rely on him. We need not have to fear. And we can find complete safety in his love. 
And we can realize that failures are not fatal. You know, if we, if somebody brings something to me and I have not responded well to that, if, if I said something that maybe uh, diminished somebody because they stuck their neck out and said something or rebuffed them or dismissed them, the gospel works in the giving me the opportunity to ask forgiveness, to restore relationship and trust, to, to realize that we do not bring to the equation our own righteousness, our own perfection. We are still, this side of heaven, struggling with our sin, struggling with our selfishness. We have our blind spots, but with the gospel, we don't have to hide. We can come out and we can restore those relationships. We can ask forgiveness. We can seek reconciliation. So you can see the gospel provides a completely different context where we're going to operate, I think, as a Christian organization with a greater advantage of, well, I'll say Eastman in this regard because he's, Eastman's quoted. The CEO in Eastman actually is a big psychological safety proponent. And he talks a lot about it. But whatever organization it might be, we have, I think, a different way of coming at this that I believe is much more honest, much more life-giving, and I think is going to allow us to truly cultivate a gospel-centered environment and organization that provides true psychological safety.